step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Paula Price Show, where you can experience scripturally organic, culturally unmodified teaching, get answers to your questions, and receive powerful prayer from your host, Dr. Paula Price, author of The Prophet's Dictionary. Tune in now and get ready for an exciting time of encouragement and transformation. Welcome your host, Dr. Paula Price. And so what I love about being in this ministry is for years, Dr. Price has chastised and she was uh, shut out of circles and inner circles because she was so hard and she was so strict and blah, 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 on and on and on. And now, now that the sun has set on Sugarland times and it has risen on reality and hard times, people want to know, where are the standards for this office? Who is regulating all these people? Now we want to know. And guess what? Because she stuck with the plan, she didn't waver, she didn't quit, she didn't make excuses, she didn't lower her standards, now she's ready. We're ready. Price University is ready. We're not scouring and scampering and running around and what should we do? We have uh, the Prophet Circle with Prophet Samira addressing what's going on. It is kingdom-wide with the prophet. We have prophet idea with profiting this generation already out there dealing with young people and parents and how to handle and deal. What's going on in this prophetic, supernatural, psychic, we don't even know what, demonic climate. We have prophet Tala who is coming out and she's launched 2020 prophetics in the prophet's union. So we are here with the prophets in place, the pillars in place, ready for this day, for what the Lord has already set in motion and has been in motion for a long time. This is uh, one of the primary reasons I respect what Dr. Price does is because her standards never fluctuated based on popularity, never fluctuated based on uh, peer pressure, pressure from other apostles, prophets in the kingdom, big names, huge names in the kingdom. People would say, I'm just going to pray that you get out of Tulsa and, and come to where I am or do it. No, 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 please don't add to the warfare of what we are doing. And, and through the years, I've only been with her 20 years, but through those years, seeing every step of the way, that decision to maintain integrity. And I will say this, you know, those decisions, you, you can make them in a, a moment of just Oh, the Lord, you know, exaltation and worship. Yes, God, I'm going to do whatever you tell me to do. But when those decisions are challenged is really when you find out if you meant what you said no matter what. Swearing to your hurt. Coming to the point of bloodshed. 
All those other elements in Scripture that we like to skip over when we're talking about the promises of God and and receiving our inheritance. And and we don't want to accept that those are the major, major conditions to receiving what God has prophesied and what he has promised to us. Because he puts the word out there. He sends it down the line. He puts it in the mouth of a prophet or an apostle or a church mother or whoever he's going to use to say, baby, you know this is a calling of God in your life, whoever he uses to tell you. But it becomes up to us to actually do what it takes and not quit to finish what we start and to finish what he has started in us. Many times we want to blame the people left. And so I had to quit. No, you didn't. You could have kept going with five people, but you didn't want to. So-and-so got angry with me. It cost me my job. It cost me my family. Jesus was like, who, who are my, who's mother? Who's father? Who are these people? When it comes to doing what I said to do, I came to do the work of the Father. He forsook all. His, his heavenly abode, his sovereign rank, his, all of that to be born in flesh and to give us a way out. So it's on us. I mean, if he sacrificed everything, including his life, what are we really talking about? But this is why we need apostles and prophets to preach the gospel the way it was written, with the intent and and the thoughts of the Lord, and preaching and teaching his outcomes, his expectations. He has expectations of us. Yesterday we started our 30-day consecration. Do you ever have the feeling that you know something's going to go on longer than 30 days? (laughs) In some level. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, that's the setup. But I have a feeling, a notion, an unction, a sign, and a wonder that this is going to go on for myself on some level longer than that. But just diving into the Word and just reading it and reading it and reading it chapter after chapter after chapter and getting, you know, consuming an entire thought process that the Lord had on the subject and not just a verse or a passage, or a column, but the whole thing. It's like, oh, this is the big picture that he was talking about in Ephesians. Oh, this is the big picture that he was talking about in Galatians. Who knew? He knew. And we're supposed to know. As apostles and prophets, we are supposed to know that. And so you can't quit. You can't quit. We're always telling God he can't quit. But we can't quit on the Lord. We can't quit on what he called us to do. We can't quit on the assignment because the assignment gets hard, because it gets challenging, because people have opinions and oppositions, and, and they don't agree and pull you into the back room. Dr. Price taught me early about the proverbial back room. There is the back room in which you're connected. Uh-huh. There is, uh, there is uh, always somebody who's going to pull you in the back and say, no, I'm concerned about you. And it can often come in concern, veiled disapproval and concern. I'm, I'm concerned about you. The Lord has placed you on my heart. I heard what you said. And, you know, I think that there's a better way, a way that won't ruffle so many feathers, a way that the people won't get so upset. And that's, that's also back room. That's intercessor's back room talk. That's the soft serve. Soft serve disapproval. Soft serve. You need to do this another way that makes the people happy. But this is really all about what the Lord do you know how challenging it is to sit here? <laughs> Dr. Bryce is sitting here, all excited, off camera, all wound up. And I have to look serious right here, and she is like, yay, <laughs> off to the side. 
I mean, I have acting skills, but you know what? Who wants to do all of that whenever she is a live apostle? I think she's ready to say something. Mako, let us pray. <laughs> The bell has started. The fighters are in the ring. It's time to get out of the way. I'll tell you what, I'll just thank God for you, Apostle Ashley. I thank God because, you know, she is like my 100% homegrown straight from the mother womb, the matriarch, the matrix of my spiritual womb, womb, Apostle Mercy. My homegrown, like, came as a college student. College. What's an apostle, and how do you spell prophet? Okay. I mean, seriously. A.G. girl. It didn't come, on, it didn't girl. come any more green than that. <laughs> I told everybody, I said, I know for a fact. Am I sounding right? Because I don't feel right. Mm-hmm. I'm getting cute, guys. Don't worry. This is yeah. cutifying. And we'll fix that. I'll fix it. We have new ideas. We always have new ideas for Dr. Price's earpieces. Because i got tiny ears. So they don't make them. I need the money. I want the money they put on babies. It's tiny and then yeah. it's P90. We need the money to put on the little kids. When the little kids have to say, that's my ear. <laughs> um, so, but I'm in great, I'm excited about it. I'm excited about what God is doing. Hey, guys, this is our government compliant studio. We are compliant with the government. <laughs> there you go. You know, now I have my thoughts about it, but whatever my thoughts are, you know, life is about team, playing, and success is about compliance. So we're complying here. Last night, you saw Chief comply with Wednesday Warriors. Compliant. Compliant. I mean, she's on it. And I'm compliant. So I'm I'm excited about being here. Thank God for uh, the journey we had. You know, we had such a hard journey coming here. It was just Every yes. time we turn around, we were, re- we were relocating, yes. rebuilding, yes. tearing down, relocating, and revamping. There you go. And so today, okay. But oh, today, we didn't find it out. This is like old hat. Oh, he can just go back to setting number three. Exactly. You know, and I think that since we are on the heart reset journey, uh, I think God is making everything reset. God is resetting everything. When we say heart reset, we're talking about, listen, if you have a pen, get this acronym down. I'm an acronym woman. Y'all, you all know that, right? So when we say heart reset, we mean halt, H-A-L-T. We mean assess. We mean revamp. And we mean, we mean demonstrate. Uh-huh. So we have to demonstrate a new thing. So, and, and we have to demonstrate our assessment and revamping of something that has become a hardship or a hindrance. Mm. So hard resets are because much of what the existing thing is has become a hindrance, and in many cases, an obstacle, and, and to the extent that we had it, a barricade. Oh my. And so look at us, you're barricading in your house. So I'm going to minister today, and I'm going to take my time because y'all don't have anywhere to go. Y'all got to all be home unless you got to go to the supermarket. <laughs> and you're not going to want me to rush through this. Take it. Really, take your time, Pastor. Take it. Yes, yes. Now, before I get started to tell you what we're going to discuss, before I get started, I want to tell you if you are a prophet, intercessor, dreamer, seer, if you are 
a, a proper spire, a spokesperson for the Lord Jesus Christ. If any of that is you, get on the phone and call your friends. If you have ever received a prophecy, call your friends. Uh, well, if you have ever criticized, condemned, and crucified a prophet or prophesier, call your friends. Because hard reset is a powerful thing. I, I've been talking to you about my book that's coming out in May. Uh, from Whitaker House, uh, uh, and we're going to talk about it. I'm going to give you some excerpts. But in my book, I have a whole section on judging prophecy, how to judge and assess a prophecy. Because we have, uh, I mean, you look at Facebook, we've got this free-for-all. Hmm. We've got people saying any old kind of thing, saved, unsaved, Christian or not. They're all hearing from God because God is infinite and God is pervasive. That means everybody's going to hear from God. So what I want to do is I want I don't want to jump in the fray. You know me. I'm not one of those to jump in the fray. I sit on the sidelines and I listen and I hear and I observe and then I go to Christ. And I say, Okay, so Jesus, where are we? How do you want me to handle? It? I sit in two higher seats to to fist the cup and street fight. You know, when you are in a certain strata, you got people to fist the cup and speak fight for you. And so I don't do that. I, I don't have to. I have a too full of grasp and too full of access to the king and his mind to be confused about what's going on. So I'm not confused. But just because I know it doesn't mean that I am free to say it. Mm-hmm. Just because I have all of this knowledge and intelligence that I have, and I don't mean just intelligence as in smarts. I mean also intelligence as in divine information doesn't mean that I just spew it all out because God is a meter, and he meters according to times and seasons, chronicle, uh, his chronicles and his events. So because that's how he works, and he trained me, that's how I work. So, no, I'm not going to jump into everything. I'm not, I'm not going to do that because God is so smart. He, 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 he drops the word. And then he lets everybody scramble, fight, do whatever they want to do with it. Now, the alpha drops the word, okay, beta, gamma, delta, epsilon, iota, all the end. They give the word, and then omega comes. And say, well, now we got that out. Not our feet. We'll have your attention now. And so right now, the thing people miss about the prophetic is we're supposed to be the alpha and the omega. We, we leave all of that other stuff sandwiched between up to those who are picking it up for various reasons. After my discussion today, you will definitely want to reevaluate, reassess how you have handled this. We may be spontaneous, but we're not to be impulsive. Mm. We may have a, a God's prophetic pulse, but we are not to be reckless. Now, that's just what it is, but let me go back and say to you, some of the, where we have come, how we got here, that's probably all you had. You didn't have anything else. We didn't have anything to, to guide us. Even tell us when we're being impulsive, all we had was a feeling. We ran on our feelings or we ran on our, our uh, responses and reactions, but we are not reactors. We are initiators. Write that down. 
Prophets don't react. We initiate. And we then, from what we initiate, we then be, we become the spirit, and we become the reiterator. So we keep reiterating what we've initiated so that the path that God wants this thing to go, the orbit that he wants it to travel, happens. So we are, our job is to keep what God said at the outset on course. We ought to keep it on course. We are literally, because we're moving in God's communications orbit, we are to keep it on course. So when it starts veering off, you'll notice that God will bring his, his credible prophets back out because just as prophecies are seen, you don't pick at the dirt until it grows something. True. When prophecies are seen, you literally plant that seed, you tend to it. You watch it, you visit it, you may revisit it, you may, you know, move the dirt around a little bit, especially with the animals coming to pick your seed and, you know, and all of that. So, but you don't over handle a seed if you want a quality fruit. That's true. Now, what we're seeing is prophets overhandling their seed. And you're doing that because you don't know that it's okay for you to let, as the farmer does, for you to let the Holy Spirit run his course, take his course. You don't know that because we've not made that plain to you. You know, one of the things that I do, I may give you a lot of things, and most of you know I'm pretty frontal, but I have to tell you that this prophet brutality has got to stop because we're not going to be able to get this thing into where God wants it to be. And if we do, you all of me are, I'm home, I'm feeling hurt, I'm still nursing my wounds, I'm trying to get my prosthesis right, you know, all of that. Because it's been crazy. So I want to be, and have always wanted to be, the voice of intelligence because the prophecy starts out intelligent, and then it goes someplace else. Then it goes ignorant. But it starts out intelligent because prophecy is the logos of God that must be distilled into a rhema work. See, a lot of you all did not check the archives for logos. You didn't get the logic. You just got the rhema and the rhetoric, which you turned into a rhema work. So that is how you know. For example, prophetic giftings are all about rhema work. Mm-hmm. Because they they have not been given clearance, classified, classified or clearance for God classified logos. Why, how, all those questions. And when you get that, the more logos you get, the less rhema you want to spew. A lot of time with spreading, it's spewing that God is having a problem with. Mm-hmm. Since spreading it is one thing. Spreading is a deliberate act of sowing seed in the most fertile fertile ground using the most effective techniques and tools. That's spreading. In a word, that's disseminating. You're seeding the ground for a future harvest. So if you gave a prophecy on a particular subject, that is your seed, then you need to expect that harvest is happening on that, on that seed. So you don't have to keep getting out there, and you don't have to go, what we're doing is what a farmer would never do, a planter would never do, no one would do. And that is we sow our seed and go out and switch the seed. And then we sow it and then we go out and switch out that seed then. And we go out and we keep switching out that seed so that we never get a harvest. And then after too long has passed and the, the ground is sick of it because the ground gets sick of crazy seed handling. So when the ground gets sick of it, we get angry with God and say he did not, he did not follow his word. And people are angry with you thinking you didn't hear from God because you didn't rest on what you heard. 
See, you're not called a false prophet because you didn't hear from God. You're called a false prophet because you mishandled and overhandled your prophecy. You can't help but sin. So I'm going to talk to you today. Is this speaking to you? Because if it is, I want your feedback. Put it on my, you know, post it. Tell me how it's answering you. And what it's saying to you, because you need to understand that mishandling a prophecy is as bad as not getting it, and it's worse than lying. Ugh. Because a mishandle prophecy dies. A lie can be corrected. What do you do with death? So the idea of a solid prophecy, a solid prophet and prophesier knows you, you, you give the word, if it's God's word, you give it and shut up. And then go in the back room and pray over it every single day. Your prayers and your um, uh, biblical decree on how you send to prophecy. Okay. So if you want to get online, let's say you want to get online and you want to talk about prophecy, and you're going to find out in a minute that God expects it, and, and I'm going to show you how. If you're going to do that, do then you get online, you reiterate your prophecy, and then you pray over it. And then you declare the word of the Lord over there. That's how you tend to a prophecy or a prophetic utterance. You don't get online and get a sword fight. You don't get online and go into somebody else's field or vineyard and start fighting with them about their word. You don't do that because your word suffers. Because you're taking the attendant spirits of your word into a battle that you didn't need. Now, while they're trying to back you, your word is not getting attended to. I'm going to give you this because you seem lost. Okay. I'm about to like, whether you want to go here? No, no, no. She's going to be all set. So I can look crazy. Okay. So I want you to hear me. You, many of you, your prophecy died in the ground because you and you wanted to water it with people's acceptance of you. You wanted to water it with accolades and, and praise. You wanted to water, water your prophecy with, with esteem and with people jealous, being jealous of you. You wanted to water it with rivalry and competition, and it killed your work. I told you, tell every prophet you know, you need to listen to this, because I'm going to set you free to death. Every prophet, every prophesier, every apostle, every divine communicator. You wonder why you don't hear me in it? Because I'm watering my words. I'm tending to my messages. I'm attending my messages like a new baby, like a pregnant woman. You know, as a pregnant woman, the first thing you do, if you want to keep your baby and you belong to Jesus, then you go to a doctor. And you listen to how the doctor tells you to take it. The first thing the doctor is going to tell you is the state of your health and the state of your well-being. That's the first thing that that doctor is going to tell you. Then they tell you how to treat and handle your, world, your well-being so that you can produce a healthy baby. Once you produce your baby, your, that seed is no longer futuristic. Prophecy is prophecy because it's always futuristic and it always comes outside of our time. It always has a designated season. So if you're going to be a serious divine communicant, a serious prophesier, a serious prophet, if that is your goal, if that is your sincere objective, then get out the front. 
Make your words far and few and in between so they count. Because when people hear too much of you, they stop hearing you. Mm-hmm. The, the, literally, the ear and the mind have a mechanism that says overload means literally halt. You don't have to have a word on everything because if you do, you're gonna, uh, either all your words are going to fall to the ground unfulfilled or you're going to be consumed with trying to keep them alive and to keep them growing. Because the reason I can say these things is the very is the opposite of the reason that you can't stop. I know that every word has an attending spirit. Those on our lives, uh, and, and these are human as well as uh, angelic spirits. But they all have an assignment to God's word. Creation is coded to move and arouse itself at God's word. So when you go out and give a prophecy that God didn't say, creation said, I don't know what to tell you. That's the, uh, that, I don't have that. Did you look at it? Did you have any No, that's not. How about you? Okay, you have no. Tree, you got it. No, okay. Sun, you got it. No, okay. Grass, you got it. Okay. Uh, oh, DNA, you got it. Uh, they don't have it. And if they don't have it, they don't move. And you can't hack them. You may hack flesh, but you can't hack the spirit. The Holy Ghost is as resolute as the Godhead is because the Holy Ghost is God. So when you decide, I just want to show off, and you get offended because people uh, tell you that they can see through your, your facade, your veneer, don't get offended, just get right. Because genuine people love correction. Now, they may get a little bristle at rebuke. They get a little, little heated at chastening. But people, experts and specialists, love correction because that is what their goal is. You're not an expert because you do something a thousand times. You're an expert, expert because you become it. And now it trains you. Your expertise will train you when you get there. But if you're still running in novice mode because you just want somebody to see your Facebook post and say, wow, and then bring you in, I'm telling you, that's a futile effort. You might as well go on and sit in God. Just sit in school, sit in God, just go on and sit with the Lord. <laughs> Coffee, and mine is very good today. Extremely good. So let's get into what I'm talking about. So if you look on your screen, it says judging and assessing prophecy. Obviously, you know that someone has to be pretty bold to take that on, especially in the present climate and our historical track record. But I can take it on because I'm an expert. Now, some of you are going to get offended because you know how saints get. That's prideful. No, it isn't. No, it isn't. That's practiced. I'm not prideful. I'm practiced. I practice this. I hone my craft. I practice this. And I don't just practice practice it manually or technically. I dig into this. So how can I say that? Well, you got two books right here. Prophet's Dictionary, 600 pages, 1,600 terms. Would you say that that requires an expertise? or at least yield it. So I've got this prophet's dictionary. It's sold around the world. Uh, literally, 
tens and tens of thousands of copies, over 100,000 copies. And then we got the prophet handbook because I wasn't there. And so we have this prophet handbook, which is nearly 400 pages, and it is a literal how-to manual for the prophetic. How-to. Now, I'm also in the, in the you know, very slow uh, process of redoing, constructing the contemporary prophet, the very first manual I did on the prophetic. 400 pages, 10 units, goals, objectives, syllabi, outcomes, activities. So we got that. Now, then we have this wonderful book for the theory, theological piece called Before the Garden, God's Eternal Continuum. Now, this trusty little book, how many pages is in here? I don't even know. Um, almost 400 pages. You seem to know I do hundreds. I don't do. <laughs> I don't, my, my fraction is not a fifth of. So I do hundreds. And you know why? Because I'm comprehensive and experts are comprehensive. Mm. Initiatives, novices are literally just uh, this. When you get intermediate, you become, you move up a little bit, and you're not just this and cliff notes. I started out, my first book was Constructing the Contemporary Prophet. So you can understand, God wasn't playing with me because he didn't want to play with his people. And then every now and then, if you want to know if I, if I have a soft side, you know, people do. What else do you do? I do Jesus. And this is called Devotions of a Saint. Because you better be a saint if you're going to write over 1,200 pages for God. Now, those are the books you know. These are all the prophetic. I have a prophetic service manual that is unparalleled. It's just, it's just different. And that's about 400 pages. And that's 400 pages they can have by 11 if we decide to bring it down um, as something else. So when I tell you that I know what I'm talking about, and I'm not talking about having a ghostwriter. I got a holy ghost. I don't have a ghostwriter taking my sermons, and I wish I could because my sermons could be real loud. I'd probably have a thousand books if I had a good ghostwriter, but you know what? I'm fussy. So I'm extremely particular. So I'm not, I don't trust people to write for me. I have two people I trust. My daughter, Chief Prophet Calvin Price. I trust her because, well, she came from my womb, and I've been training her to be a prophet since she was 14. I think she kind of got it. Do you think she got the hang of it? I think so. I think she got yeah. the hang of it. I'm not sure. I'll have to ask her. I think she has a handle on have a little bit of a handle? Yeah. Now, my daughter can take my writing and bring it into the prophetic realm like none other. And so when I first realized she can do that, she was, I don't know, about 18, maybe 20, that she could do it. That's so why I trust her. And the other one I trust is Apostle Ashley. Apostle Ashley, I can actually, I, I always duck her as my verbatim. Because she's my verbatim girl. She's just verbatim. This is what God, why do we have to change? This, why are we using something? Why don't we just, we don't need to reinvent the whip. So I have two people that I trust. And if I want something fleshed out, I trust them to do it. And I, I promise you, I only have to make a few changes, a little tweak here, a little tweak there unless I've gotten something fresh that they haven't heard about. If I've got something different that they've never heard of, well, that's something else. And then I do it to them just to test them. Like, okay, let me just see if your math is working. I want to know. 
In my environment, you don't lawyer as a prophet or prophesier. I have no lawyering clauses in my service manual. You don't lawyer here. You deliver. And then you watch over your word to perform it, and you do what it takes to make it so. And they cannot give a word in my environment that they can't tell me how they're going to make it so. Now, some of you say, well, I don't know if that's God, then you're not a prophet. But I'm going to leave it with that. Because if that fundament gets past you, you're not a prophet. Your job is to make it so. Because that's what the prophets of God did in Scripture. The prophets of Israel knew it was not just their job to say it, even if they made it so by staging it for the next generation. They knew the next generation is going to do it. So, I'm not think about it. I want you to think about what I said because these are some of the elements for judging prophecy. And judging prophecy starts with assessing whether or not something is prophecy. Just because it's a just because it's a voice, just because it's words, just because it's vocalized doesn't make it prophecy. So some of you all are jumping on a bandwagon and slinging and slaying each other, and it's a day of these are prophecies. Some of them are just oracles. Some of them are just opinions. Because they come out of a prophet's mouth, you consider them a, a, a prophecy with a prophet, a probably the most opinionated people you ever going to meet. We got an opinion on everything. Everything. We got a thought. But we are irresponsible because we don't take time to dis- differentiate for our audiences whether something is our opinion, whether it is our oracle, oracle or whether it is prophecy. I call that the oops factor. Opinion, oracle, prophecy. Oops, I should have told you that wasn't God. Oops, I should have told you I'm running on wisdom. I should have told you I'm running on my experience. I should have told you I'm running on my feelings, my instincts. I should have told you that it wasn't prophetic, it was intuitive. Um, pay attention to me. Are you paying attention to me today? Because you understand I'm giving you wisdom every word. You have got to yourself assess your prophecies. And if you can't self-assess, you have no right to assess others. And if you can't self-assess and correct yourself, then how dare you stand there and attempt to correct others? That's Jesus, you know, you pick at, you're picking at somebody's little piece of dust and you got a moat in your eye. Everything that comes out of a prophet's mouth is not prophecy. Sometimes it's supposition. Sometimes it's forecasting. Sometimes it's prognosticating. Having a future inference but not being entirely predictive or futuristic. That is where we're stuck because we've been taught by people who were not prophets and then by people who can't stand prophets. And then by people who are wonderful prophets who could have gone through another year of God's processing. And so as a result, you think that you know what prophecy is and you don't. You have to be able to differentiate prophecy from the things I just named. So let us review them. You've got to differentiate prophecy from your instincts. Is this a prophecy? Is this an instinct? Or is this God's inspiration? Is God inspired?
inspiring them. You got to be able to do that for yourself to be accurate, to be good. Is this an impulse? Right now, I am so inflamed by this situation that I just, it's just a, the pulse. You can feel the pulse of your heart racing, and you think it's the founding of the Holy Ghost. I told you, I'm an expert, and I'm good at this. I've given this 32 years of my life, and I didn't do it to be public. I did it to be professional. So now you need to understand, okay, so am I, is, am I, is this reaction, impulse and compulsion are reactional. They are not even responders. You have to check your input responders to see what is your response system to things that prick you to the heart or really that, that, that aggravate you or irritate you or offend you. So you have to find out, so I'm not doing anything, I'm not doing impulse, so am I just operating on my mental intelligence? Am I being intuitive? Is this intuition masquerading as prophecy? Is this good or not? Because if you don't know the fine points, the nuances that separate the two, you will call everything that comes outside of your natural mind prophetic. So you have to ask yourself, am I, is this that? Is this my opinion? Is this just something that I have addressed? You can always say that when you say, you know, my friend and I were just talking about this, then don't say you and God, that God told you to prophesy. You and your friend were discussing it. It doesn't have to be wrong. It doesn't have to be, uh, it doesn't have to be false. It, it, it can be as sound as any other thought you have. But don't blame it on the Holy Ghost. What is that to sink in? So now it can be oracles. Let's say that it is an oracle. That, that is a spoken wisdom, whether it's an adage or doctrine, historical this or that, precedent. It might be just oracle. All you have to do is just say it. Nobody's asking you to process it. Nobody's asking you to back it. Nobody's asking you to do any of those things. You could just simply be an oracle. A lot of people, you all put in a prophet's office where prophets, they were oracles. And that is why they gave you one prophecy out of all of their oracular communications, and you said this is a prophet. And they weren't. That's why they're gone from the office today. Because they were not suited to the prophet's office. They were suited to being a divine communicant. They communicate for God, a voice for God. And God doesn't only speak prophetically or predictably. You should know that. So you're out there having this, all of these social media slams, and, and all y'all wrong, because none of you took time to analyze it, assess, to analyze what you're criticizing. So you get a chance to do that now. You can go back and do the hard reset. Halt, assess, revamp, demonstrate. You can do that. You can halt the mayhem. You can assess the communications, the voluminous communications. You can revamp your style, your reactions, and you can model your prophecy judgment of what uh, I was at methods to what works. You can stop jumping on board every bandwagon because you can 
favor that's just somebody's intuition. I don't that's not prophecy. Because the problem is you were afraid, you were taught to be afraid of dis, uh, of dispelling a prophecy just in case you might offend the Holy Ghost. Well, I don't want to offend God, so I'll just, all right. But you need to understand the language of intuition. It has a language. You need to understand the language of an opinion. Instincts. Instincts have a sound. They have their own influences and their own effects. So when, you, when we start thinking about this and you start growing up, because this is called growing up prophetically, hallelujah, when you start thinking about this, you are now going to be in a better position to assess all prophecy critically without criticizing, analytically, before you go critical. You can do that. You really can do that. And it's all in Scripture. You know, Dr. Price, I don't play with other devil says. I don't read and bring you other God's stuff. I don't have to. I have full access to God's mind, soul, history, access to his, his, his uh, archives. I have full access and full clearance. I worked for it. Now, people will tell you they have clearance, but you know what? You need to be good at even uh, discerning that. And that's another thing. Sometimes something is just a discernment. I'm detecting something, and you're calling it prophecy. And we 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 attach the the uh, label prophecy on anything that we get outside of our five senses, and then we shove it into the into the bag called prediction. Is this is this speaking to them? I need you all to let me know how this is landed. Because I want you to recognize that God is doing a hard reset on the prophetic. Because, oh, hallelujah. Let's go on. So if we turn, if you look on the screen now, you can see that God is doing a hard reset on the prophetic because God starts everything with prophets. So if he doesn't hard reset us, then we are not available to him to as instruments that hard reset the world the church, and the world. And so you're going to appreciate that because Amos 3, 7 lets us know surely the Lord does nothing except he reveals his secret. It comes to us as a secret. It spreads all out to them as communication. So God brings us into his private chambers, secret place. Prophets who've never been in God's secret place. I don't know what to tell you. I really don't. I don't know what to tell you at all. But prophets who've never been in God's secret place can't tell you God's secrets. I don't care how much they say they got it from God. If they haven't been in the secret place, you can rest assured that they haven't. I'm taking this off this piece on my nerves. Forgive me, guys. Can we get this one? Go- okay. I prefer this rather than that. And um, So God is, listen. Heart reset means that God starts with the prophets, which is why you, you all are all inflamed. You're inflamed, you're agitated, you're, you're motivated, you're overanimated, you're overconversating. It's because the basic nature of your makeup, your fundamental core composition, biotically speaking, is rearing up, trying to rev up to do what you know you're made to do. And that is receive God's secrets for this next move. Prophets are always in God's secret place for his future. 
whether that is a 24-hour future or a 24-year future. Jeremiah died never seeing what he prophesied. Cyrus was part of that prophecy. Now, we somehow lost Jeremiah's contribution to it, but nonetheless, when you read Ezra, and, and, and you read him, you get to see that these, these prophets, a lot of them, didn't see it. When you read Peter, First Peter, he says of those prophets wrote by Jesus Christ. It said they wrote by Christ. Because a lot of you all don't get that, that Jesus is prophecy. Because in the beginning was the word. So they, they wrote and they, and they wondered. The angels guarding their writings wondered. You said, what angels? All of the angels weren't confused. Those near Jesus, I'm sure, had a good idea. Because we assume that God, everything in, in, in this world is lateral. Everything in God's creation is lateral. God's world is not lateral. It's not static. It's hierarchical and layered. So we, when we give our predictions, we predict on a concept of, 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 of a lateral world, a lateral organization where God is in the middle. This is not Israel in the wilderness. God, that is how God did that nation. God says, and Amos says it, that he, has, he makes his strata in the heavens. But if you read my books, you would not have a problem with any of this because you have the wisdom. And you wouldn't be on Facebook slinging seed and slinging hatch and wielding a sword, hacking people to pieces. You just wouldn't be, because wisdom is the principal thing. So when I give you a prophecy, you can rest assured, I don't give prophecies by instinct. If they're instinct, I'll tell you it's an instinct. And how do I know an instinct, Dr. Price? Because you'll hear the prophet says, I'm sensing. Sensing means instant, because when you get a, an instruction from your boss, you don't say, I'm sensing. My boss wants me to. You don't, you don't say that. You say my supervisor says, my supervisor told me. So when they use sensing a lot, that's because they're uncertain. They're not in a position to discern whether or not it's a prophecy or their own personal opinion or an oracle. Because they, you know, that's just where they are. God hasn't given them that emphatic. Prophets are emphatic people. Now, we have uh, false prophets or even emphatic. Because the basic nature of the prophet spirit is emphatic. It either is or it isn't. This hymn, when you get all of that kind of wishy-washy kind of thing, uh, no. No, because uh-uh, God and I don't have that kind of relationship. As a matter of fact, when I go wishy-washy, he gets tense. He said, did I not say? Why? He's challenging my hearing and my faith to believe. So I don't do wishy-washy prophecy, so you won't hear that from me. If somebody tells you that Dr. Price prophesied with the word, I sense, usually I'll say, I see, because I see. So you understand that in order to do this at expert level, you don't have time to spend five, six hours a day on Facebook reading who is doing it. You are busy perfecting that gift that talent, that faculty. And that's something else you need to understand, whether a person is running on their anointing or, or a faculty. Mm. See, I teach my, my prophets about their faculties, not just uh, your anointing, because many voices, I mean, um, John says that many spirits have gone out into the world. Many voices have gone out to the world. Paul said, 
And so you have got to be a, I mean, a master at spiritual discernment, which is literally, we read it and you heard it as discernment, but you have got to be a master spiritual detective. You've got to detect the character, nature, etc., of all of the spirits that are likely to bring a voice into this world. And you've got, to, you've got to have, in order to do it, you've got to hold your discernment faculty if you're going to do it right. See, because a lot of folks, you're going to get hang up. Because, see, if you have anybody, I'm going to tell you this, and I'm, man, I'm telling this is one of those things that get me. If you have anybody say, I don't care what you say, I don't care about this, I don't care about that, that is not a prophet, that's an interloper. Because real people want to be loyal and fidelity to him who called them. They wouldn't say that about their job. They wouldn't say that about their supervisor. But I don't care what this company says. Because you say that one too many, and they're going to tell you where the care team goes. The don't care team is in the unemployment line. Don't you ever, as a prophet, say, I don't care if. Because that means you haven't examined, that means you haven't studied, that means you haven't analyzed, that means you haven't prayed, that means you haven't gone to God. You just don't care. You're running, that is a person who is a gift. They're not a prophet. They are prophetic gifted, and they're running on, that's, but that's what I mean about reaction. They're running on their habitual reactions to unpleasing words in the name of the Lord. Sound like a professional. Care. If you're going to respond to something, say, I took this to the Lord. I prayed about it this many days. I presented this to him this way. This is what he gave me. If you have to put a caveat in there saying, this is what I believe he gave me, you didn't pray long enough. Mm. Because God's emphatic. God is not wishy-washy. He is not gay, gay, nay, nay. We know he isn't. He said that. He's not gay, gay, nay, nay, gay, nay, gay, nay. God is emphatic. This is what I'm doing. And God will give you some of the most obscure words, some of the most vague, hard to pin down words, and you're like, well, God, how can I confirm that? He said, hold fast to your faith. So God starts everything with a prophet. If you are in a seat of authority, don't you ever write anything like that again. Because it belies your experience, it belies your integrity, it belies your motives. You have got to sit in your seat and guard your seat. And you've got to guard the integrity of this office. You've got to protect it. And that strips it. Because you bring yourself down to the language of the people you are to lead. The people beneath you will say, I don't care. Our government is saying, I don't care what Corona is they're not saying that. We're down here. We think it's a hoax. We don't sleep. Up there, they've got to occupy their office and discharge its duties responsibly. And it's irresponsible for us who sit in a seat that we sit in to be that lackadaisical with best practices and quality performance. Are you all catching this? So when somebody, you, you read on there and say, well, I don't care, God called me. If all you can do is say, God called me, that means you can't prove it. Because when you can prove it, you do care. You care about people putting you in the wrong place. You care about people telling you the wrong thing, calling you by something else. When people call me a, a, a prophet, I stop them. I, when I was young, I didn't because I didn't want to hurt their feelings. And I thought, why should my feelings be hurt? Why should God's feelings be hurt? That's not what he called me. I don't care if you have a problem with women apostles. That is your problem. I don't eat your food. I don't take your medicine. And I don't belt your gas, so don't tell me. 
<laughs> so don't tell me what you feel. So again, that's your reactionary self. You're not speaking from the knowledge of Christ. You're not speaking from experience with him. You're not even speaking by just uh, interviewing and, and clearing with him, confirming. You don't even want to go to God. You're running on your instinct. Half of these people out here on instinct, and you need to say, but that's your instinct or that's your opinion, and not give them credence. Because a professional would never come against another professional, especially in public. Mm-hmm. They would never do it because we back our team. We back our God and we back our peers and we back our colleagues. And if we have problems with them, we do it privately. We don't go public because the last thing we want people to do is to be confused about who to trust, where they are. Right now, the, as far as the prophetic is concerned, the, the world is confused. The way we can begin to fix this is start backing each other. And when you are corrected and you, and you find out from your peer or your colleague that you're wrong, you all come together. They do their piece, and you say, you know what? The Lord has visited me on this. You don't have to say so-and-so told you, because if they were speaking from the Lord, they don't want God's glory in hmm. So you don't have to say so-and-so told you. Just say the Lord has dealt with me on this, and I could have done this better, that he gave me a more excellent way of doing this. We can be scriptural. God gave me a more excellent way. But don't leave your lies and your errors in the arena for everybody to look at and celebrate and pride as authentic. Our job is to authenticate. And these kinds of things are important. I'll take a minute. Are there any comments or questions, Rachel? Uh, Yes. I just feel them in the spirit. Uh, Renisha asked if someone is just impulsively prophesying is that sensational that was uh, I'm trying to find the exact well the, the word sensational comes from sense your senses so I think I can answer the question with just that clarification so if they are always prophesying sensationally that means that they're always on their senses and and, and the divine communicates that run on senses of psychic because they run on the soul round so so suke. So psychics are always going to be running on the Now, it could be true. Nobody's saying it isn't true. Nobody is saying that, you know, hey, they're lying. We're saying they're not getting that from God's eternal book. And they're outside of God's eternal prophetic prophecy continuum. See, so that's where we are in that regard. So, and also, it could mean that obviously they're underdeveloped, they're untrained because they keep doing it. So they're running on themselves, and that self-will, self-rule, which makes them psychic more than prophetic. And here, we, you know, I love what God is doing because he's, he's separating his prophets from the psychics. Mm-hmm. And I'm, you're going to love what I'm about to do next. Anything else before I go on? No, just a lot of people are agreeing with you and are appreciating what you're saying today. <laughs> Make sure you keep this, and if you are a prophetic educator, trainer, mentor, teacher, tutor, guide, make sure you play this again and sit down with your group and talk about it and, and, and work through it. Don't just say, wow, that was great. One thing about Christians, we have been so long 
single-sided listener that we don't know what to do with the information we receive. Because we are programmed, the pulpit preaches, the pew listens. As a matter of fact, so programmed that if you ask the pulpit what they meant by something, they get indignant. They get offended. How dare you ask me, my man or God? How dare you speak to me and be unable to answer? That's where I am. Well, I'm sorry. You're not supposed to touch the man of God. I didn't touch you. I questioned you. Well, I'm sorry. You're not supposed to come against the man of God. I'm not coming against your, your personhood. I am asking about your professional delivery, or did you not classify it as professional? I'm going to ask. Don't tell me I can't ask you. I'm going to ask. Yes, I did. I asked when I was, you know, three minutes in Jesus. So what do you mean by, and they would get offended. And see, I came from the business sector where you could ask. You know, we like to say we're corporate and we don't want anybody to question how we arrived. Well, how did you arrive at that prophecy? How did you, do I not do that with you all? I'll tell them in a minute. So my folks are not going to stand there. You ask them a question and they hide behind arrogance and indignation. I said, if you can't say how God is on the then I need you to shut up. Hold it. So, yeah, if somebody said to me, you know, I'll let you hard on a prophet. I'm not hard, but I'm firm. But let me tell you something. I tell them in a minute. I'm not in it to be a mess. I'm not in it to be a failure. And if you're going to have my name and you're going to carry me, you're going to be up here with me. If you can't be up here with me, I need you to be down there with someone else. You know it? I do. I'm like, uh-uh, don't either. But we, we have, and I don't care if you're going to prophesy to an infant in the womb. Because we do. You're going to be accurate. You're going to tell me how God's going to do this. Because there is logos, which is logic. There is a technology to theology. And we need to be good at that. So how did John prophecy? You ready? You all have been hearing me talk about my, my book that's coming out in May. I, I opened the, the broadcast today talking about that book. And it's called Assessing Your Prophetic Self. Discover and Train Your Gift of Prophecy is being published by Whitaker House. They are excited about it. They sent samples out and tests out and have gotten amazing. We, we didn't even finish the book. We got amazing um, interest and, and, and very large outlets. So clearly the question of prophetic assessment is a hot thing for folks. Now, I'm sure that you all have said, well, I've had assessments. No, most of you all have answered surveys and got an inventory. That's not assessment. That's identification. And you need to understand that identification is part of assessment. But so is evaluation. So is appraisal. So are benchmarks. So are uh, metrics and, and, and criteria. So this book helps you with that. It helps you understand not only what assessment is, but it's placed in the prophetic. And I would say it's imperative place in the prophetic. You have to know how to do it. We have been victimized and, and, and crushed and minced up enough with people taking advantage of our inability to tangibly assess our prophecy. Some of you all, you, you've lifted your whole life up, and you 
relocated. Some of you all, you you left jobs. Some of you all, you married people. You married into families that are insane because some preacher told you that that was God. Again, you have to go through that checklist. Did you all keep my checklist? Did you lift the checklist? If not, when you go back to read, listen to this, remember the checklist. That's the least you can do. But this book gives you quite a bit of information on assessment and prophecy. And the basic thing is it starts with you exercising your privilege of assessing yourself. You can assess your spiritual life. You can assess your prophecies and prophetic walks. You can assess your prophecy that you give as well as those that you receive. Because the these pointers, these tips are norms. What we, we, you know, when I wrote the dictionary, they told me it's impossible to define the prophetic. I found 1,600 ways to define it. I think it can be defined. And I didn't go and read so-and-so's psychic book, and this one hand prints of this, and this one celebrities to heaven and earth. I didn't do that. I went to the very Bible we swore we loved. Word churches that can't find a prophetic, what word are we really following? Oops, I'm just you a word church talking about you don't believe in a prophet? You're not a word church. You're a world church. And even they believe in their psychic. As a matter of fact, they believe in their psychic more than you believe in God's prophets. And they're your heritage. And their heritage came from you. <clears throat> because... If you all remember when we did prophetic ed, we showed that there's a difference between the Greco-Roman prophets and Israel's prophets. And what is that difference? The difference is the word. The difference is the Logos, Jesus Christ. Because you're going to find out in a minute, this is a very interesting thing. But let's look at this. And we covered a lot of ground already, so this is going to be great. Okay. First Corinthians 14.39, wherefore, brethren, covet to prophesy. Underline covet. That's Bible. Covet to prophesy and forbid not to speak with tongues. ISD. So, that's important. Where would Paul get that impression? Well, he got it from Job 2.28 that was fulfilled in Acts 2.17 and 18. Job 2.28 says, Then it will come about at a later time that I will pour out my spirit on every person. Isn't that good? Does it say, if, if your Bible says something else, let us know. Well, actually, just, just go online and get another one. Okay. Pour out my spirit on every person. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your elderly people will dream dreams, and your young people will see visions. And now this is global. So globally, this is a global statement. So he's saying when my Holy Spirit comes to the planet, he will not pick and choose and cherry pick who will hear from me. Everybody is going to get it. See, we used to say the whole church can prophesy. We didn't read Joel, but it said the whole world. So we, we began to say nobody else can prophesy. Remember, Jesus had Judas. Mm-hmm. Somebody got to educate the darkness. Mm-hmm. All right. So, Joel 2.29, also at that time, 
I will pour out my spirit upon men and women servants. In other words, all fivefold, threefold. Romans, we get a different dispensation. We get the dispensation of the classified intelligence of the Almighty. So everybody is going to feel the need to prophesy because the Holy Ghost is in the plan. So we're walking around saying, well, I don't know, they not a problem. You don't know that. And if you don't have a prophetic assessment or the dictionary or handbook, you can't say whether they are or not. Now, I will tell you, and I'm going to stand by this, I do not believe that psychics are misplaced prophets. Because by the time you get into that, you have been trained. Now, I believe God can convert psychics to prophets. But I do not, I will not accredit them like that. I just won't. I don't believe it. I, I'm convinced that it isn't because we prophesy the word of the Lord. They prophesy world events, and that's a difference. So by the time they get a word, it's already in the planet, has taken shape, and it's developing. It's emerging. We don't. We prophesy what God already said he did. We are prophesying Alpha to Omega whether or not we're around when it happens. And we don't just prophesy. God's prophets administrate his invisible realm and work with his invisible agents and representatives to make his work happen in the earth. I'm going to tell you about that in a minute. So the first thing you need to know, three things you want to know out of this. Number one, it is okay to cover to prophesy, but not foolishly, not recklessly, not deceptively. That's what Paul said. So everybody ought to want to speak what God is saying. So if you've gone to prayer, that's why I make a distinction between divine communications and divine communicants. These are your sermonizers, your oracles, you know, your public speakers, your intuition, you know, your intuits, rather. That's that, that's the, that group. And then out of that, we pull out the prophesiers, those with the gift of prophecy, word of knowledge, word of wisdom, you know, that stuff. Um, and also the four, um, what is it, uh, Peter, four prophecies. There, God, God wants to talk. So God will make anything. Your leaf on your plant can give you a word because God wants to talk and be heard. So you should go. No, don't go to the leaf every day. Go to the Lord. All right. Because, see, the psychics go to the leaf. Yes, okay. Key leaves. See, they, they go to leaf. We don't go to leaf. They go to paper cards printed by humans. Tarot. We don't do that. We don't have to. Because we've got the literal library of the Holy Ghost in us as part of the new creation. We just need to know how to access, extract, translate, and interpret. See, that's why you can't teach this thing in three three weeks or three months. All right, so let's go on. If you want, you know, they are, I talked with my publisher this week, and they are ready for us to go whole hog with marketing. Um, remind me, if I forget, to tell you how you can get to pre-order this book, and not only pre-order it, but get an incentive for doing so. I have a great incentive plan for you. So let's look at this. So, all right, Dr. Price, so you wrote this wonderful book, and that's great. So what does that mean? 
first thing I want you to understand about prophecy is prophecy is a sealed multi-compartment package. So if you are working in a store and you get a whole bunch of boxes, all you have to go by is the label on the boxes. You don't know what's inside that box until you cut it open. And then when you cut it open, you have the label on the product, whatever that item may be. And so you get a, a better sense. Now you're brought, brought closer into it. It's not until the person takes it home that they know whether or not what was in the box and what was on the label is, in fact, the product they want. Prophecy is a lot like that. It's multi-compartmentalized because it has so many things, which when you buy the book, we'll t- it talks about and We have an, a, an image of prophecy chironics. Prophecy has its own chironics, not just chiros, but chironics. You have to recognize it. So you give a word, and all you see is the, all you got, all you did was give the box. I just delivered to your box. And there you go, prophetess. You might get boxes tonight, nice box. And guess what? And so she says, what's well, in it? And I say, read the box. But when you are moving through those compartments, you have prophecy that is in different ways and in different cycles and seasons. And so I have a wheel that will show you that in the book. You want to get this book because I, I promise you it will take care of a good bit of our difficulties and, and, and make a giant push toward us regaining, first of all, regaining stability, regaining uh, uh, integrity, and then credibility. So let's, here's a book excerpt. I'm reading it to you just in case you don't see. That God's word can take years to form and manifest suggests that you should compile a reliable stream of verifiers and qualifiers if you are going to participate in prophecy legacy or in its legacy. Steadily create ways to test and attest to a prophecy before it is given as well as the moment of its inception. Ask yourself if the prophecy is related to something God has been discussing with you. Have you been praying recently or long ago for the very thing prophesied? Have you been standing for God's handling of the prophecy subject or perhaps wrote about it in a journal? Did you dream about the words substance or has the Lord been giving you inklings of the prophecy to clue you on its arrival and how to receive it when it comes? Think back on incidents or experiments, lead up, spiritual recollections that led to the utterance of your words. Biblical examples of this include Nebuchadnezzar's dream that led to a vision that begot a prophecy. See Daniel 2. Another example is Daniel's 21-day fast that brought Gabriel to him. See Daniel 10, 2 and 3. And Ananias visits to Saul to remove the scales from his eyes. Acts 9, 10 through 18. Mm-hmm. Now, that's quite a few tips. We're going to talk about that when you all come. Mm-hmm. But isn't that quite a few tips? See, there are things you can do before you before you run around and scandalize a prophet or prophesy. Before you yell lie and false, make sure, because a lot of you all have done that and never went back to correct it when God proved you wrong. You let that prophet struggle. You let that prophet fearful, intimidated, 
and insecure, and you never went back. You never said, you know, it took five years or ten years. But it happened. We were just at dinner the other night with a couple, and, and this has gone back, what, in the 90s. In the 90s, I gave a, a young couple, from what she's telling me, I gave a young couple a word and said, you know, you're going to have another baby, because she was talking about she isn't. I said, no, you're going to have another baby. And so this is the 90s, and so she was, I mean, I'm, when I say misbehaving, I'm going to talk about misbehaving and mishandling your prophecies, because rejection is a major mis- mishandling. Okay, so she was like, no, I'm not, I don't know what you're talking about. Um, and so uh, I said, I don't care, I said, you might have more than one. And so now she really has. Because, see, a lot of y'all act like y'all control your body. You don't. I don't care what you take. God wants a kid, God's going to get a kid. And if he wants it from your DNA, you're going to deliver. Okay? <laughs> so you need to get clear on that. So anyway, so she said they left the church. And she said they went and saw them several years later, probably, what was it, like, maybe 10 years? Okay. Sounds like. That when they met them, they had three more <laughs> children, three girls. And this is what to admit it. <laughs> now, my attitude is this, and I have, I've got, I've had God tell me to do it. You know, yeah, but my prophet told you to do that, go sow that seed. That's a harvest on that word. Because, see, they should have had a harvest as well as you. So if you've got prophets that you bashed and you know they were right and you know that you wounded them, you need to apologize because a lot of your blessings are held up because he still, God still means touch not my anointed, do my prophets no harm. Now, he did not say touch not any anointed. He said touch not my anointed. So once you verify that someone is God's anointed, you need to think about how you want to come against them. Because those, the angels and the spiritual agents that back prophets are a lot stronger than those that walk you through your life. And they have a lot more latitude. They have a lot more, um, uh, of not only latitude and leeway, but they have a lot more power and authority. So I'm going to tell you that. I recently, I don't know, a few years back, God gave me a word for a woman that he wanted to rescue before Christ he passed. Sometimes God is giving you prophecies, and your life is so cute and so intact that you say, there's no way I need a word like you know tomorrow. We are God's tomorrow's agents. We bring you tomorrow's answers today. That's what we do. That's our job. And if we are official prophets, we are also empowered with the latitude to make it so, to press everything that is holding you up and holding your word from its manifestation out of the way. So you will, God will tell you to do something, like, you know, and he'll give you a prophecy. And, I mean, people don't know you, and they'll come in and say, yeah, well, I see you in so-and-so, or I see you in California, and you're going to be a doctor. You'll get a prophet that will say that. And you'll say, I don't go to med school. My degree is not in med school. I'm too old for med school. And you go to California, and you don't tell them that you're an actor, and you got a part as a doctor on the show. Mm-hmm. Don't think you know it all. Mm-hmm. And that's the arrogance that we have to deal with. It's important that you do. So I'm going to read you a second excerpt. And this excerpt is based on prophecy being genetic. Prophecy, write this down. It's in the book, but you want to look for this when you get the book. 
Prophecy is biotic or biotic. It's just for the sake of understanding. Prophecy is biotic. B-I-O-T-I-C. It is is biotic and then it's biological. And then it goes from being that to being literally genetic. It goes from being genetic to genealogical. And are you all following me on this? So by the time you're saying, well, I, I needed that yesterday, you may not have had the baby for God to do it yet. And God didn't tell you about the kid to come because you probably would do something foolish. So the prophecy is biotic. That means that it is, I mean, it's, it's biotic, it is genetic. Prophecy first hits a being before it hits existence, before it hits environment. It has its own biosphere, which is also in my book, Prophecy Biosphere and Ecosystem, because all of us who are going to sit at the top need to have that wisdom. We may not need to use the language, but we do need to have the wisdom to process information through it. It becomes our filter. It becomes our verifier. So, so when think about it. If you hear it, if you hear a prophecy before you see it, it's auditory. It, where's the auditory? In your ear. Physical. If you read it because somebody sends it to you or it's part of what God says he's going to do, it's literary. Then we have it being systemic. This is in the book. Got a lot of word, word clouds in there. And then we have prophecy is so logical because it has to come from the spirit to the soul, the soul to the flesh. It's a traveler. And so we don't understand it. Again, that is why I say we don't get it because that, you cannot be a prophet and not be strong in soulological teaching or psychology. Prophecy has a psychology. You've got to know that. Please hear me. I, I, I want you to understand. We've got to change how we train prophets. We've got to change how we educate them. We've got to change what they learn. We've got to change their, their demeanor. So let's look at the, um, the next excerpt. By now, you see that receiving prophecy is neither a single event nor a single party project. It is a collaborative effort that relies on wisdom, discipline, diligence, fairness, and prayer. Remember these suggestions because they frame the goals you will set for judging prophecy, assuring that a divine communication or communicant is scripturally sound is a personal duty you do not want to shirk. Proving a prophecy must be your first response to the word of the Lord particularly if it comes from an unknown source. But it takes patience. Throughout your proving process, God's word is on a journey to get to you, much in the same way a babe in the womb works to become your child. Do you realize that you are judging prophecy when you don't even know the author of prophecy or its originator? How can you be accurate? How can you expect to be accurate because it made you feel funny, because you got offended, because it made you, made you feel intimidated, it made you giddy, you, you, you know, it emboldened you? You still, God is the God of truth, and he's the God of prophets. I know you think that he's only the God of Christian prophets, but prophecy and prophets did not begin with the church. The church is its own prophecy. That's why he said, I'm pouring out my spirit on all flesh. While we were having a, a, a real blast 
bashing prophecy and, and, and ostracizing them and barring them from our churches, God had to turn to the world. He had to turn to the prophets in the world to get his truth out because creation is tied to his word. So we weren't allowing prophets in, and then we weren't teaching them so that they could even handle the depth and breadth of what God has said. So God had to turn to the world. And what do you say? We reject them because they're not Christian. But they reject you because you're not Christian. Because prophecy is Christ. Christianity is something that was given to us. Scripture calls us the elect. That is why we are the elect pedigree. So when you decide that you want to be the authority on, on prophecy, then do your homework. Because critiquing somebody and criticizing others means you presume to be an authority. You assume your meager knowledge is an authority for someone else who's given 10, 20 years of their life to. Now, that's in that for uneven and enzyme language. So I want you, let's see if we can get to, you might like this. Hold on. I might, hold on, guys. I'm going to get this right. I'm so proud of myself. I'm learning it every day. All right, I'm getting good at this. But I want to share to you with you the last piece of this that I think you will like. All right, we're going to end the show. How bad we did that. Do I know what I'm doing? I know what I'm doing. Ah. All right. Now, let's get here. Yeah, we can see it. Oh, good. Thank you. <laughs> oh, it's like not another button. <laughs> so what do we do with this? I'm giving you a, a mountain of information. What do we do with this? Come on, team. Um, a mountain of information. What do we do with it? The first thing we need to do is unify so that we can uniform. And then uniform so that we can unify. People should not be getting this many messages from our profession. Because all of this mixed messaging is adding to their confusion and their ultimate rejection of anything speaking in the name of the Lord. So I need you to recognize we have to work this out. You will love the book because in the book I talk about how we should reclassify the prophetic. You'll have to buy it to get that. I'm not giving you that free. But we do need prophetic protocols. Now, when I, when we first started in the 90s and the 2000s, prophetic protocol was all about doing what your leader said. Hmm. But protocol is a universal term that every one of you should study. And after you study it, link it to the prophetic. That's what I did. So we need prophetic protocols that are uniform, that are across the board. The first thing you need to know about a pro- protocol is that it is a covenanted treaty. You must get that. Protocols come about because there's some sort of group, federation, organization, whatever, agree that these are the minimum things that will protect us, that will guard us, and will assure our credibility. But it's by covenant. It is not by mandate. Companies have it by mandate because they are the company. But organizations, alliances, and things like that, 
they have it by covenant, by agreement. This is an agreement thing. So prophetic protocol comes out of the the thought leaders, the policiers, the rule makers, and we can go on coming together saying this thing is free falling. We need to do something about it. We what can we do? What is it that we can compile and compose that at least assures that we don't lose our credibility? Because when you've lost credibility, you've lost usefulness. When you've lost usefulness, you've lost regard. People stay with what they want to use, what they regard. Our prophetic program, prophetic ad, we're getting students from all over. What do they want? They've seen the fruit. And they said, that's, I can agree with that. And if you can get people to agree with a product, to agree, agree with an outcome and a model, you can get them to agree to put protocols. Now, here's what's going to happen, because right now we're still babies in our minds when it comes to uh, uh, maintaining control or when it comes to dominance. We're still babies because we think dominating, we think dominance and we think the school playground and our playpen and our playroom. Mm-hmm. I want this. No, this is mine. No, this is my choice. No, this is my my house. You do what I say. That's not protocol. Professional protocol looks out for the good of the institution. Looks out for the good of the whole. We are an institution in the kingdom of God that wants rule the world. So now, if we would like to regain some of that form of status and glory, we're going to have to come together and say these are the fundamental things that hold any organization together. Now, now that we've got these fundamentals at the core, let us now find out what the next ring should be for holding the prophetic together. And then the last ring should be guardianship. How do we guard this thing? How do we guard what we've just spent days, probably in our case, months, hammering out? Prophetic protocols, had they been in place, this mayhem on social media wouldn't be. Because you would have been teaching your prophets better. You've been teaching your prophesiers better. And you've been going, having a, a watch force going to talk to them after they put up crazy. <laughs> because... You're, today, the prophets do not realize that it doesn't matter that you feel like you're an independent. People are tying you to an institution that has systems, a systemic institution. Prophecy is systemic to creation. Yeah. It's systemic. It's not just an anointing. It's not just your faith. Seeing faith does not define prophecy. So I, I, I want to say as a solution, first of all, we need to stop having an idea that we can be unkind to profit or as profit. We don't need to be unkind. If you're trying to protect an institution, to protect an order, the one thing you need to do is put your best foot forward. Well, and this, I don't care because God told me to say it. If that is the case, you better be willing, and, and, and sometimes it is, you better be willing to deal with the backlash because the institution by nature attracts backlash. And so part of your training should have prepared you for that and strengthened you to manage it. Backlash is not always a statement that you're right or wrong. Sometimes backlash is an opportunity for you to convert somebody, to change your mind, or to prove your worth. 
So we have prophetic protocol. In this grace, so what are we talking about? Grace-motivated customs and conventions. We have got to move by the grace of God. And God tells us in meekness. He said a soft word turns away wrath. You get more flies with honey than vinegar. You, I'm telling you that if we're going to regain our loss and reassume our legacy, because the prophetic is creation's legacy, I promise you. When God said it's an inheritance, he's like, method, it is our legacy. And so if we're going to do that, then we're going to have to change our ways, and we have to do so as a collaborative, as a collective collaborative, and not what that's how Paula Price sees it. I don't think that's right. And that's how Bill Hammond said it. I don't think that's right. And that's how just stop it. Mm. I speak to the spirit that is motivating that. And I rise up and I face you down. You will cease and you will desist that maneuver, and it shall be no more. I fire you by the Holy Ghost. You are disemployed, and I remind you to the abyss. You will no longer tear up this institution and our assignment because you got a problem. Your problems be to hell in Jesus' name. We will not do it. We will be who we're supposed to be. We will stand in our place. We will be one in the Lord. We will respect our peers, and we will respect our colleagues, and we will cover each other, and we will be able to be trusted by God, and we will present a united front. Because every time prophets had a united front, nations had to bow. We will not do that any longer. We're not picking at folks like that any longer. We're training our people. And we're going after the best of the best. We're going to restaff the elite strata of this thing. We're going to restaff the giants. We're not doing that any longer. Back down because we're not going to give up. I'm not allowing it. And I know my power. Trust me. Woo! You will see change. Come on now. Great, great. <laughs> when Jesus' testimony is the spirit of your prophecy, then protocols actually govern how you do it. They frame your words. They, they structure your words. They corral your thoughts and focus them. And so you want to do this. So when we talk about it, we're talking about sound and sane strategies and tactics. We're talking about biblically sanctioned practices, not that hoopla animalistic stuff you do. That's the soul. No, don't get me. If God's been, you have me calling your crawl on the floor like a, 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 a snake, roll over like a dog, your name is not Fido. We're not doing that. We are a professional force. We are a professional guard, and we are standing to show them the power of our God, the power of our Christ. We are making Jesus look good and stop making him look like an idiot. He is not crazy. He's not fickle. He is not double-minded. He is God. He started this thing. There were angels being prophets for God before God made us. Christ-centered mentality. The Bible is very serious. The Bible says the testimony of Jesus Christ is the spirit of prophecy. The testimony. You all quote, quote it wrong. Well, you know Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. That's how he said In Revelation 19, that angel said the testimony of Jesus Christ is the spirit of prophecy. So anything that doesn't come back to Jesus, doesn't lead back to Jesus, does not reflect Jesus, is not prophecy from Jesus. Now, you can call it prophecy, but you're not going to call it prophecy from Jesus. Because, see, it's important that you get it right because every, every speaker 
every deity has a force to see to their words. So if you have a lying prophecy, you got lying backers. Like Mr. Iron. That spirit said, I'm going to be a lying spirit at the mouth of all his prophets. Mm-hmm. And he's going to believe the lie. So we want to talk how about you need to have dignitary propriety. Now, this is a class that I'm going to offer. If you're interested, then let me let us know. I want to be in that class. Because this is a class where we break these down with, with the how-tos, the know-hows, and whatever, what they look like. You have to keep a calm demeanor under fire because if not, the, the, the very thing that inflames you is what your adversarial spirits around you are going to use to get you to trip up. Keep your cool. If you can't keep your cool, shut up. If you can't keep your cool and shut up, walk away. Excuse me, I gotta go lay from lay from someplace. I got to get out of here and recompose myself. God is cool. Jesus was always cool. And he's the prophet, the great prophet, and the God of the prophets, and the author of prophecy. You need to develop intriguing etiquette and manners. Stop telling prophets that I that ain't God and I don't receive that. You don't know. If you haven't investigated, thank them for the word, and this is what you can say. I'll take that to prayer or I'll take it under advisement. You don't have to be crude and rude. And if they decide to be rude and cruel to you, you just and they want to I thank you for giving me the opportunity to speak to you. Now it's up to the Lord. And I wish you the best. Not doom and gloom and curse. We can change this, people. We can do it ourselves. The best organizations in the world have evaluated themselves, have corrected themselves, and reinvented themselves, (laughs) and reinvented themselves, and are ruling today. Why is it that we don't have to? We must do this. My brothers, my sisters, my peers, my colleagues, my friends, we must do this because the world is making a change and we're not getting the information on it. We're not leading the information stream. We're, what we're calling prophecy is nothing but a report. And we afflict prophesying to reporting. Because we're telling it the day after, the hour after, after the news break. That's a reporter. You need to get a news anchor job because you're not a prophet. It's God's whole judicious counsel. You must have your formality custom. Stop being lackadaisical. Pastors told you you could be laid back, you could be casual and cavalier. Prophets never were. They were professionals, and they they guarded their best practices. That whole story about Jeremiah and Hananiah was a professional gathering, and they were professionally summoned by the king to give him intel on an impending venture of project. And they were in uniform. How do I know they were in uniform? Because Hananiah broke Jeremiah's yoke. That means he wore it as uniform. Okay. You must have the, the covenantal consciousness. We agree. We are all agreeing. We can reinvent ourselves. We can fix this thing. We can make this happen. We can correct it. We can own up to our stuff and go on with God. And we only own up so we understand what not to repeat and what not to include in our new or revamped version. And we prove to God that we're worth being trusted one more time. Mm-hmm. 
Scripture exhibit methods. You can't come here saying, well, I know that this is not in the Scripture. Don't you? A prophet would never say this is not in Scripture. Not a prophet of Jesus Christ because Jesus is the Word. All right? A prophesier may say it because they don't have to have the embodiment of Scripture in their spirit. They don't have the prophet's spirit. They have a prophet's anointing or prophetic anointing. And it's different. Yeah. Read my book. Assessing your prophetic self. I'm rocking. All right? And then we have motivational prophecy techniques. You have to have uh, give people the word in a way that motivates them to, A, listen, and then, B, Act on the word responsibly and intelligently. People cannot intelligently act on what you say, then you did not give them the word of the Lord. Mm. Even if that intelligent reaction is explained. And when and prophets, when they ask you to explain, don't get up on your high hearted horse. Uh-huh. Because if you if you have the guts to give them the word, then you should have the wisdom and the gumption to explain what it is. Because you cannot give prophecy without a word of wisdom and a word of knowledge. So it cannot happen. Mm-hmm. You've got to have the knowledge and you've got to have the wisdom. So that, that's going to fire a lot of y'all. Because <laughs> all y'all got is to see and say, you're a television screen. Okay, prophetic predecessors premises. <laughs> now what? So it's just skinny man pants. Really? Okay. I'm just, that's all you want. Well, I mean, what do you do? You look at television, and what do they do? They see their script, say what they say, and you watch it. And you don't have to do anything with it unless it's intelligent. Then the number one thing, other than the fruit of the Holy Spirit, is knowing what God's precedences are. God had prophetic precedences, and they were carried out and perfected by his prophesiers, and, I mean, his predecessors who prophesied. Your job is to do that. I had fun writing this book, even though it was a battle, because I knew I was excited about what you all would be empowered to do from this book. And so we're talking about understanding God's traditional prophetic patterns. There is a way God handles prophecy. We need to know that. You need to uphold the obligations of being a messenger of the Almighty God. You need to uphold that. Your prophecies are to be instructive, informal, and functional. I don't care if it instructs people to go work on time so that they can, because they're being watched, that's the prophetic piece, that's the insight, and functional that, so that it will, that word will begin to take hold in their mind and they'll be able to conform to it. And then we have, uh, let me get down here, level-headed maturity. Don't act as if you're God. All you are is a receptacle. You have no idea why God is saying what he's saying. And God uses very peculiar yet impressive ways to get you to accept the word and to deliver it in the language of, that the person needs to hear. You need to have a peaceful prophecy approach. Stop walking around like you are the town bully. You are not a quarterback. You're a prophet and a prophesier. Act like one. You don't have to go in shouldering and muscling in so everybody know that God is with you. If you, if, Let me tell you something. 
the, the, the times that God has shown himself with me the most, I'm whispering to somebody here. I don't board up people's private business like that. I don't care if we have a prophecy line. I say, I whisper in their ear, and they thank me for it. Yeah. So I, the only time I know God has had me blurted out is when you talk to somebody so many times they won't listen, and the calamity is coming down the road. Mm. It's on the highway to their, to their lives. There, God has civil processes and procedures. Stop acting as if everything is church. Everything is a worship service. Everything is a congregational meeting. Everything is a prayer session. Sometimes it's professional, especially when you're going to prophesy to high people. They don't, they don't know that. They're not trying to have church when they've got to go in there and make some hard decisions. They're trying to have wisdom. So we want to, we want to do that a little differently. Can I just say it like that? Did I say it nicely? I was trying. You know, I was trying. Okay? If we all agree on a protocol, obey it. And don't say God gave you an exemption. God's not crazy. He's not going to exempt you from a protocol and nobody else knows about it. I have always had, when God varies what he gives me to do, now maybe it's my way, he he warns me in advance or he alerts me. Everything's not a warning. Sometimes it's just an alert. Okay, so something's going to Then... And he doesn't just give it. He says he gives it to two or three people so that he can get affirmation. Two or three prophets, not just audience. People in the pew who don't know, they can't really affirm a prophecy. They can affirm how it makes them feel. They can affirm whether it brings something up that they remember, but they can't affirm authenticity, authentic prophecy. Authenticating prophecy is what apostles and prophets do. They authenticate God's word. We're talking about having a concordance. That means in one accord and in, in, in peacefulness, in, in, in uh, harmony. Because concordance speaks to harmony. We need to be harmonious in our prophecies. Not, well, so-and-so said that, but I got this. I was, I'll never forget, I never got so sick of prophecy. So I was in a meeting in New York about, I don't know, maybe, what, 21 years ago. I was in this meeting, and we had all of these, well, I mean, these prophets, I was salivating to meet them. I just knew they are bummed. And, and I was so sickened because one prophesied somebody was going to get a car. Someone else said it would be a truck. Someone else said it was going to be a fleet of cars. Someone else said it was going to be a fleet of limos. Someone else, and it got one up thing. I said, I don't have prophecy preparatory right now except with people I've trained because I don't need that flesh. All that flesh, if I don't have a bonfire or a grill, I don't know what to do with it. Huh? <laughs> You know it. You you need to adhere to mature and responsible prophetic policies. And you need to figure out what those are. We have given you training, teaching you how to see, pray, and say, say, pray, and see. And that is all. And all of the other things for discharging the office, where you're getting by the seat of your pants, we're shooting from the hip. We need to sit down and say, this is it. As the major prophets in this era, as the general as the forerunners, whatever you want to call it, we need to sit down and give something for these young people to follow that is cohesive, that is coherent, and that is cooperative. We need that. And lastly, you need to abide by rules that regulate courtesy and politeness. Mm-hmm. People are mad with us, folks. Stop acting as if they shouldn't be. 
A whole lot of foolishness has gone on in the name of the prophetic. A whole lot of ineptitude, a whole lot of arrogance, presumption, and all of those suppositions, all of those things. We have got to go and be the other extreme. We've got to be people. Now, that doesn't mean we don't give the word of the Lord, but we learn how to frame, frame it intelligently and yet motivationally. You know, people often talk about Martin Luther King. I'll say this and then, team, we're going to jump in. But people often talk about Martin Luther King. And, you, you know, I was in that era, and then right after him came the Panthers, and the Panthers was like, we're not doing peace, and we're going to fight, and we're going to do all of that. And they had the calamity, like a war or whatever. We ended up with the riots. But one of the things that God told me about Martin Luther King, he said, number one, you all were oppressed people, so I wouldn't send them, send you out as if you weren't oppressed. You had no legal right to assemble. You had no legal right to do any of the things that he was championing at the time. His campaign was about getting us right. He said, so I had to have you behave in a way that would make them look at themselves through the lens of peace and realize they were not peacemakers and that they were abusers. Mm-hmm. And when the world looked at them turning those hoses on those people on those kids and turning those dogs on those kids, it became a global reality that America's practices with African Americans were hostile, abusive, and extremely, extremely uh, moral and fatal to people of color. It was then, because even today, he's remembered around the world because he showed how ugly arrogance can be. And arrogance is an ugly thing. And so we have been arrogant. We have been indifferent to our gods. We have been stubborn. We have been self-serving. We have been literally in bed with devils and demons. We have promoted seducing spirits and doctrines of devils as the word of the Lord. We owe God another demeanor. We need to revamp ourselves. We need to do it. Not in battle. We don't need to come to the tables and start talking about, well, that's how you see it. Anybody who says that needs to be dismissed. Because it's not about what we see. It's about what works for the king and what works for bringing this institution back online as it was in the beginning. Because the prophetic did not start out like this. It started out under the word of the Almighty, under the auspices of Creator God. And then it fell into the hands of the people. Sure. If you have questions, let us know. Uh, so you, uh, so many powerful things today. Um, I had written in my my notes because you talked about the fact that we have to do things differently. What can the listener do today? What 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 would you say is our our response, our call to action? We're listening to this. We're being charged up by this, and even being convicted by this to even change some of our own practices for prophets who are listening to this. Because um, you mentioned so many things about us recognizing and understanding as prophets what is the word of the Lord and what is not. Um, what is the listener to do? What do you What do you feel is the call of action for us? How can we respond to this in the right way? Well, I think that's a question, and the answer to that question has to do with who you are as a listener. If you are a recipient of the prophetic and you need to go back, listen to this and listen to all of those judging uh, tips that I gave and indicators so that you can at least, when prophecy happens to you, comes to you, you can put it through 
this particular text, the stream of terms, and say, hey, this is going to check, check, check. Give it a scale, one to five. List those things and put them in a scale of one to five. Assessing, assessing your prophetic self actually has you do that. You can actually wait and assess it. Now, if you're a leader, if you're a teacher, you're going to integrate it in teaching. And the one thing you're going to want to restrain yourself from doing is saying, well, I don't know if I agree with all of it, and I don't, well, I don't think all of it, but I just, you want to stop doing that, and the reason you want to stop doing that is because you might be protecting your ego, your frail ego. You might want to guard your secrets. You might want to guard uh, your, um, your esteem in the eyes of your students. That's not what they hear. They hear, okay, so Dr. Price said it. I thought it was God, but my trainer is telling me that it's not. You have to be responsible for how you present yourself publicly because hearers are always grasp your intent because they are always living with your effects. So one thing you want to do, if you're a teacher and a prophetic trainer, educator, a prophet, prophesier, intercessor, spiritual people all together, then you want to pick out what you can live with. Those that you can't live with, let, leave it alone. Keep your, uh, those kinds of disagreements among your own private circle of peers and colleagues. But you don't want to have the people, again, stay confused. That's how we got confused. You know, the problem that God has with theology is it keeps it unless one person cancel out enough. And, oh, yeah. But see, prophets are, were not brought online as theologians. They were brought online as divine communicants, as messengers of the Almighty. So that's the second thing. If you are a leader, please take that preceding advice, but also find out how you can meld this into your leadership stream and then train your people to understand it. You, we've got to give people a new prophetic consciousness. Yeah. Because the consciousness we have right now is tainted. Mm-hmm. And it's detrimental. And it's literally debilitating the prophetic. So if you're a leader, and, and then if you are a prophet or an apostle, process it first. The whole idea of this reinvention of ourselves is that we don't run race and recklessly. We take time because prophets are normally, and you'll read it in the book, are usually a very solemn deliverers. Mm-hmm. That's why God has to catch them off guard because they're thinking people. So we go out. And you know, hey, Douglas, we go out, we got the thing, we already figured out, we're not going to say this, we're going to edit that, we're framing this, this is going to be good. We're all set. We, we got it. God says nothing. He, we got it all pretty, we got drama, we got animation, we got PowerPoint. We are in control. And we thought this through. That's the key to a prophet. Prophets think. That's what, as a matter of fact, we don't sleep well because we can't stop thinking. So God, then we get in public, and we're ready and all of a sudden, Jeremiah was hot. I'm not speaking about you. I'm tired of you doing this to me. Jonah, I ain't going. No, I don't care what you say because I know you. Now, how can they have those responses if they weren't thinkers? Prophets are humanity's first thought leaders after Adam's fall. We are amazing people. Prophets, apostles, we are amazing people. And I want to say to you again, if somebody's pushing you into the apostle's office and you know you're a prophet, you let them know. You have no right to have somebody push you into a realm that you're going to get pummeled and you don't even know why. Stop. 
stay a prophet if you're a prophet, because these are amazing people. You go before everything. We talk about, well, Judah goes before everybody. That, when, when the prophets were gone first, there was no Judah. Right. We don't know what praise was like. Abraham had to come up with praise. Okay. Uh, I'm sorry, Abel had to come up with praise. So I don't know if that helps okay. you, but that, the thing that you want to do is let's get back to the fullness of our legacy, not just the verbalization, not just the prediction. Let's get back to our full legacy. That's good. I hope that, that helped you all as well. Uh, I wanted to bring it back around to your book by asking this question. I know a lot of you are going to want to grab this book when it becomes available. Will readers be able to use your book to discover if they have a prophetic call? Absolutely. Um, you know, as a matter of fact, you're so, so right, but as a matter of fact, that is the purpose of the book, that you would learn to assess your prosthetic self. You have, you've already assessed your professional self. Uh-huh. You've assessed your, your um, thank you, your, pro- <laughs> God, I love this team. You've assessed <laughs> your, your, you know, your personality. You've assessed your dating self. You've assessed okay. your mating self. Now you get to assess your prophetic self. And, and literally, there are activities, there are exercises, there are explanations, but a, a, a number of things are in this book to make you able to assess yourself. And the Bible says that we ought to be able to examine ourselves. This book enables you to examine your prophetic self to find out if you're in the faith. I always like that because we have to examine ourselves. But there is a, to see if you're in the faith. Are we in the faith of the prophets that preceded us? Or are we in the face of another brand or type of process? Mm-hmm. So this is powerful. Um, I'm excited. I, I love writing the book. And when I got to the end, I was a little bit sad because it was over. And then there's the second one. And then, yeah, as a matter of fact, they did contract me to do three books, three prophetic primers. We don't know what the second one is going to be. We want to see how you all like this one. And then we'll work on the second and the third one. And I, I am excited because I get to take all of this meaty stuff that I have here and over there and bring it down into a primer. Now, you may not agree with me. How they? So I told you we are going to go over a little bit today. So here you go. You're next. When you said you're judging prophecy, determine if it's actually prophecy first. You like that? Yes. Can you expound on that just a little bit more? Prophecy has a formula. And the old um, prophets and a lot of the commentators of the 18th and 19th century tapped into that formula. And the, the formula of a prophecy is thus says the Lord, or the Lord has shown me, or the Lord told me. The beginning is the Lord. Now, God says if you say it's him and it's not him, he's going to judge you. So most people have sense enough to know the skirt that, and they'll say, I sense, I feel, it seems, it appears, but they cannot lay authorship of that word on the Lord. So you have to start with that. Now, let's then after that, if let's say it doesn't happen because a lot of novice prophets, they just, whatever, and they just do. Then when you get back alone with you and the Lord, 
he's going to tell you whether or not he said it. Because God won't lie. God won't deny himself. He, can, he will not lie. He will tell you. And even if he doesn't tell you that night, sometimes God won't tell you a prophecy is real until you live a particular uh, event that's related to it so that he can draw on that event to bring that prophecy back to your mind. So, again, there are a lot of classes. I'm going to hold classes for prophets, and I'm going to hold classes for prophesying and prophetic people, and I'm going to hold classes for recipients of prophecy, the audience, because you need to know. Hearers, first thing you have to do is to, to hear. Um, I had another one that I'll show you probably next week where it tells you you have to have ears to hear. Before you even go to a prophet, you need to pray that your ears are open and anointed to hear. You know, when you get, when they do a device, a communication device, a listening device, they have to condition it mm-hmm. to function in the capacity that it's made. You have to ask God to give you an ear to hear. Jesus has problems. Jesus is the great prophet. I'm the author of the prophets. They're reading the prophets in Israel every Friday night. It is wonderful. Oh, and they got the Sabbath thing. Why not? And you know what? He said, why is it that you're trying to kill me? Is it because you can't understand my speech? Because you cannot hear my words? Because ears and hear means not just your auditory faculty. It's actually talking about your capacity to listen and to shut up until you hear it all and then restrain emotions until you have processed that word. Does that help? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, in ending the prophet wars, <laughs> talking about overhandling, mishandling, is there a particular backlash from the Lord that people face when they attack somebody else's prophecy? Get rid of her. Good question. Um, I want to say this to you. That is such a perfect. You don't want to do that. No, no. She. It'll. It'll end. Okay. okay. Uh, she said it'll end. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I want to. Uh, uh, I think that's a great question. Yes. Oh, yeah, I forgot. We like y'all. Sorry. But this is God's attitude. He has several attitudes to mishandle prophecy. One, if you're a novice, if you're young and you don't passion. So he just kind of lets you go through it and then he steps in to help. If you are learning, he treats it as if you're learning. He's going to correct you. Because remember, he said, he who did something worthy of many stripes will get many stripes, and those who did something of a few stripes will still be strong. So because you have to have a reason to remember not to do this. So so when you mishandle prophecy, let's say you mishandle prophecy as a recipient, then when you do that, then God has to deal with your life, particularly if that prophecy is pivotal to what he's going to do with you later or walk into your existence. So God will deal with you for being um, disrespectful, for being belligerent, and he'll do it in a very difficult way, very innocent way. Some of them are very phenomenal, meaning that you don't even realize he's doing it until you're on the other side of the chasing rod, and you're asking God, why did that happen to me? I mean, I didn't get to you. I paid my God. God's like, yeah, but you dishonored me. We always start there. I think my we start, and I go to church, and I clean the toilet. Yeah. There you go. So that's it. Now, if you are a veteran prophet, God will send a number, and, and everybody, he'll send a number of people to correct you until he realizes that you don't. Then he will allow the internal system that he has in every prophet 
to do his job. Then you'll see they'll get sick. They'll have diseases. They'll, uh, Sam, uh, Elisha, example. Elisha's the only prophet that used his mantle to kill innocent kids. Forty-two kids were killed because his, his feelings were hurt. And so he dies of a sickness and a disease. It doesn't tell you anyone else did. Now, they, others might have gotten killed. They may have happened. But God wanted us to know that this great man of God who stopped worlds mm. had to rock out of this life. So there are a lot of things. And then there's the other one where his mercy is where he just stops using you, you notice that your crowds are shrinking, you know, the audience is shrinking, and the caliber of people that you're getting, gaining access to is lower and lesser and lesser. Not, in, not unimportant or insignificant, but certainly what you are not accustomed to. God will begin to silence a, a messenger that has had a great audience. And, and here's how you'll know it. Because you say, well, what happened to brothers and sisters? Oh, sure. I watched them, and they had like 12 people in the room. You went from, you know, 12,000, to 12, 10 people, because God has found he can't trust your voice because another spirit has reconditioned your voice to this world or carnality, and he has never use for it. Now, God will use, like he used Judas, but when he was done with him, he, you know, was done with him. And he still kept whatever people Judas preached the gospel to. I'm going to keep y'all, but you, you got to go. Amen. Any questions online? There were some questions from earlier as well. Well, you have my permission to read them aloud. You got to have a longer writer next time. She did used to write the questions. Which one do you think? We're revamping, reinventing. How can people that aren't prophets judge prophecy? Well, great question. That was what the list I gave you when I talked about the instinct, the oracles, and all that. But when you buy my book, there is a whole section on uh, def- of defending yourself from false prophecy. And you will be able to yourself use those terms, research them, dig out how they look, how they operate, how they appear, and compile what it is that you know you are most susceptible to. False prophecy taps into your susceptibility. Oh, that's good. Wow. It already knows that you're susceptible. If you're a person who, for example, if you're a shopaholic, you're going to get prophecies about spending more money. Just a point. I use that as an easy one, innocuous one. If you are, you know, if you're a person who's always buying marriage books and, and wedding gowns and things like that, you will get false prophecies. There'll be dreams, there'll be people, there'll be whatever, because they know you're susceptible. Because if you're planning to take somebody out, you're not going to use what is ineffective. You're going to use the most effective thing. You're going to go after where they are. Because God says false prophecy targets your heart's desire. So you may not want to admit that, oh, no, I'm waiting in faith. Or, oh, no, I can restrain myself. Oh, no, I can do without it. Just watch me. I mean, let's realize the addict always says it's not them. The addict always says they're in control. That's how you know they're an addict. Because you are looking at when you were in control. And everybody's looking at you since you've lost control. So false prophecy always, when I say always, I literally mean always targets the desires of your heart. And the church right now is caught in the grip of its heart desires. So it is right 
That's why it was right for false prophets. Well, I don't know, Dr. Price. I don't know if it's, that's true. I don't know. Tell me how Harry Potter made it in the Christian church. False prophets. And it was right for mystical mysticism. It was right for magic. It was right for potions. It was right for that. So Satan knew that when that thing had grown up, he could actually exploit it and take out God's people. How do we get that? I mean, you know, we're talking about Christians dressing up for Halloween. Because you love Halloween, they knew you took care of God. Anything else? Yes. Um, is it okay to predict based on data or history? Well, if you are predicting based on data or history, then it's forecasting. It's like analyzing. And, and projecting. Yeah, there are people who do, analysts. But for the most part, if you're talking about those spontaneous, intermittent predictions, then you are forecasting. You're, and you're right, you're using Available information. Prophecy is not available. That's why it's prophecy. <laughs> you have to get it from God. You have to get it from the Holy Ghost. And one last one is when you give a word and you put definitions in it, is it still the word? Yeah. But, if, but first you give the word, and then you come back and you give the definitions because that's the wisdom. That's the revelation. So the word of knowledge, the knowledge you give first, and then that definition, because people are going to ask you, well, could you explain that? Well, how are you going to explain it without definition? Mm-hmm. You won't be able to. Did you see something else? Uh, yes. An example, uh, when prop, prophets prophesied virus would end by Passover, are they to stand on that word regardless of circumstances? Well, we had a whole lot of things. That's something with what I call a blood moon stuff and all of it, because the there are a lot of churches, a lot, and that, I love this question. Thank you that we didn't end without it. But a lot of people, a lot of churches, are still very Judaically laced, influenced, etc. They are looking to have a blast so that they can obviously get you to sow to their gifts and sow to their holy days. I, I read an article why you should celebrate the feast days. I'm going to tell you why you shouldn't. How about that? Can I do that? I got a mic. I got some lights. This is wonderful. I'm all lit up. Um, because the, you will only celebrate the feast days if you are not filled with the Holy Ghost or you're not educated in what the creation is. We keep thinking that salvation um, is all about Old Testament, New Testament. We keep thinking it's about that. But see, the Old Testament also has in the beginning God. It also has Enoch. It also has the Nephilim. The Old Testament has a lot more than the feast days. Now, why am I saying that? Because all of that is the economy of the pre-Christ world. B.C. Christ operates differently than A.D. So, but there are, BC is climatically, uh, you know, uh, astronomically, it, it, it's gone. But people still honor that because, A, either they're born into it by legacy, mm-hmm. you know, that's my family, or they can't get the invisible aspects of Jesus Christ. The feast day, the entire Old Testament, you're going to love this, the entire Old Testament is God's soul. It's all about God dealing with the soul of humanity on earth. 
That is why celebrating the feast days is still a soul flesh experience. The New Testament is all about the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. So you see Spirit, Spirit, Spirit all the time, because now the Holy Spirit is not only back in the planet, he's in people. And so those who are in people, that is what, those are ones that the Holy Ghost will say, no, this is not me. Paul said, why are you celebrating feast days? Why are you honoring when he said when those things are passing away? He's saying those angels, that economy, those, all of the rules, all of the things that those angels use to, to keep humanity until the Holy Ghost came, they're dumb. So you're doing a dead work. There is, it's dead, and I don't care what they say. There's no such thing as a born-again Christian or a spiritual Christian celebrating B.C. time and B.C. event because it's to say that Jesus really didn't come, and if he came, it really didn't matter. He really wasn't the Son of God. He really wasn't. He didn't die for anything. He didn't do anything. As a matter of fact, we're not sure he came. So, it, so for you to do that to say, because the Jews are doing it because they're still waiting for the Messiah. You're, why are you doing it? To help them wait when you know he's gone? Wow. So I tell you, I don't have a problem with Jews, nobody, I, I, you know, because I know Jesus loves his creation. He loves his people. And he loves, he wants that all to be saved. And I know there's a day that God, when Paul said all Israel will be saved, they're not going to be saved on a feast day. They're going to be saved by recognizing the Messiah. They will look at him when they pierced. So we're coming up on the resurrection, Easter season, for lack of a better word, and all of you all, you can do that, but two things you do. You offend God. He's offended because he gave you his most precious gift, and you choose to go back to his substitutes in his place. So you substitute God's past for his triumph, and he's got a problem with that. So you can do it. I don't care how many times they're on television. I don't care how they do it. Either the cross worked and it did the job or it didn't. And but well, there are things that are not fulfilled, not in Jesus. Jesus did not fulfill everything. Just because he hasn't moved us into the era and the experience of that fulfillment doesn't mean that he didn't fulfill it all. Either he fulfilled it all or he didn't. Great questions. Are you ready? Ready. All right. It's time to sow a seed. We know that this is definitely worthy of that today. So we want to ask you to do that. Rachel's going to put the information on the screen for you. And I'm going to tell you the three ways that you can give today. PayPal.com, sorry, PayPal.me slash Dr. Paula Price. Mm-hmm. PayPal.me slash Dr. Paula Price. You can also sew on Cash App. Her tag there is Dr. Paula Price, of course, with the dollar sign, if you're going to sew via Cash App. And then you can also sew via text to give. The number there is going to be 918-203-6625. 918-203-6625. That's the way that you can give today. And you can also partner with us. You can become a partner of this program, a patron of this program, by visiting us online at takingiton.com. If you want to see Dr. Price continue to be on television, you want to see season two of Taking It On with Paula Price come to realization. We need your help, so we need you to partner with us at takingiton.com. Wow. I, I like all of that. I, first, I want to thank you all for sewing and for giving because you have kept us going, and this is encouraging for me. I know sometimes you think, well, I don't know if she needs it or not, I always need it, and I always need an encouragement. But, but there is a law of the Spirit that says that if I sow to you spiritually, then I ought to re- reap from your material harvest. Why? Because what I sow spiritually takes on flesh, 
and becomes material for you. So you want to get back to keep this cycle of soul growth, soul growth going. So I thank every single one of you for doing that. Some of you, I mean, you are just have gone above and beyond. Second thing I want to do is bless you. In the name of Jesus, I cover you by the blood of the Lamb. In the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ, Yeshua HaMashiach, I bless your body. I speak to your immune system. I release the angels assigned to your life to build a hedge around you to protect you from this virus, protect your children from this virus. In Jesus' name, I speak to the new creation in you, and I stir it up to rise up to do its job, which is to keep you safe and sound, which is to fend off darkness and fend off disease. I call that new creation of yours to do. This is a call to duty and a call to action to keep you whole, to keep you sound. I cover your marriages. I cover your families. I cover your household. I speak to your economy, and I say diversify yourself. And continue to supply the needs of God's people. I summon innovation on you, ingenuity. I call it alive that you will come up with other ways to fulfill whatever lack. I thank you, Lord, that you keep those working and continue to keep them on the job. Keep their income flowing. And God, those who have not given them witty inventions and money-making ideas to fill the gap and fill them on in Jesus' name. That you may continue to prosper and that your place as God's pedigree elect is continuing to be filled with his blessings and the fulfillment of his covenant in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless you. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.